right, good morning to you. I know that you're glad to be in the house of the Lord. Because I can tell how you worship. Amen. God is so good. I leaned over. Actually, I told about three people this. As I was standing back at the back, getting ready for the service to start, I said, this is a pre-COVID crowd. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and it, there, I don't know if you sense it or not, but there's just electricity in the air. You know, the last thing was baptism that we've really been longing to do, and we did that today. And I was sitting there, and I, I had my Bible out, and the concordance failed me. And so I had to borrow Judy's phone. But in Joshua in chapter, is it chapter 5? Yeah, Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9. Now, here's the setup. This isn't even the sermon, by the way. <laughs> you know? But anyway, so, so the, the children of Israel are poised to go into the promised land. Okay? And so, so God sets it up and says, now, listen, we got some work to do. we got to do some circumcising. Okay? Because the people in the wilderness had not been circumcised. And before they could go into the promised land, and circumcision, of course, is an identification of the Lord's people. So they had been in the wilderness... Somebody say amen. amen. They had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were now poised to go into the promised land. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah. Here's what verse number 8 and 9 says. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day, this day, this day I have rolled. I'll get it. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Today God has rolled away the reproach of Egypt from us. We we have Egypt in the rearview mirror. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal from this day. I am so glad to say, I'm almost nervous to speak today. Not because of the size of the crowd, but because of the electricity in this place. And I cannot tell you... How glad we are to have you today. You know, family and guests, it's just awesome. We had a wonderful first service. Uh, we had 65 in first service this morning, plus all of you today. So, wow, it's just really, really incredible. Well, today really is the last day in our family series. And uh, this will go down as the strangest sermon title you've ever going to hear. You will live to be a long time. By, by the way, speaking of living a long time, did you know that Peggy Jones is going to celebrate her 90th birthday this week? Can you say amen to that? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so you're going to live a long time and never hear another pastor with this sermon title. I just promise you that. Let me say, and let me say this first off so you, you'll be comfortable. Um, this is more than a sermon intro. This is the foundation. So this is a chunk. We're going to stay here a while, so don't panic, okay? It's all included in the program, so don't think I lost my way uh, along, along the journey. But so a while back, um, years ago, years ago, I'm an early riser, and I always get up without an alarm clock. I get up 4.35 o'clock. I've just done that for years. And so at 4 or 5, 4.35 o'clock, there's not a whole lot on the television. But at 6 o'clock, there's something comes on, you know, the farm show comes on. You know, and they talk about farm stuff, and they got Max's tractor shed, talk about old tractors being restored, those kind of things. And so I don't know if that was the thing that there was nothing else to watch, but anyway, I became a farm show watcher. I'm, 
I, I don't do farm. Um, Judy won't even let me mess with her plants. I mean, you know, it's kind of like power tools. They won't let me use power tools, and she won't let me mess with her plants. But I got hooked on this, and I think what hooked me was at about 7, I was going to be 632, 633. About halfway through the show, they had the weather. And um, it's, it's a guy named Greg Sorbison, if I'm saying that correctly. And he used to be an older guy with a mustache, and he retired or or died or something. He's gone. Anyway, so this new guy came on. He's about my age, maybe a little bit younger, to be honest with you. A little bit younger. But what's cool is when they do the weather, they do it the old-fashioned way. Remember when they used to have the maps and had the fronts and the sunshine and the clouds and all that? Well, that's how he does it, and that's how this other guy did it. And I just always have kind of a flashback to the good old days. And so he gives the week report, but then he goes up to a month ahead. And I always thought that fascinating. Well, here's what we think is going to happen in a month. It was always just good. Well, the weather segment, okay, is always sponsored by Pivot Bio Proven, okay? And then their tagline is weather or not. Now, I know this doesn't mean a lot to you, but hopefully at least tie in. Let me tell you the story. I just like it. I just like it. Um, The Pivot Bio Proven is a, a thing they put when they plant the corn, there's a, a herbicide that goes into the ground, and, and it's got microbes that release nitrogen all through the growing cycle of the corn. And so when the corn needs nitro the most, it's already in the ground. It doesn't depend on the weather, washing it in. You don't have to have rain to dissolve the nitro and put it down. It's already in the soil. And so their tagline is, pivot bio proven, whether or not. Whether it rains or not, the ingredients for a successful crop are already in the dirt. So that stuck with me, you know. I just liked it. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Vivid, bio-proven, whether or not. It just kind of stuck with me. Well, I was preparing this message, okay, and and it just came to me, pivot, bio-proven, whether or not. How about that? And so I realized that this is not only an incredible uh, sermon title, okay, but it's also an incredible teaching introducing what we're going to talk about today from the Word of God. So I looked up to make sure I knew exactly what I was talking about. That's always a good thing to do. But if you, if you look up the word pivot, okay, that is the point, okay, where something turns. A machine or something like that. It's a point where something turns, okay? And then, you know, bio literally means life or living things, all right? And then you've got proven, and that is something true, a proven true by evidence. I said, oh, that's so good. That's so good. So I talked about, so what is the pivot in our Christian faith? What's the pivot point in our Christian faith? And here's the deal. It is, okay, our worldview. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. And in faith in Jesus Christ, we determine a worldview. Now, there's a lot of talk today about the crazy stuff that's going on in our state and in our nation. A crazy stuff. And there's a lot of concern about that. But I'm going to tell you today what you really, really need to be concerned about. And it ties in with that. And that is another way to, to look at our world view. I was reading a devotion this week. And in devotion, here's what it said. It said, um, you can take it to the bank. You can, you can know it's true that when your child walks into a college classroom... He, will all, he or she will already have been introduced to relative truth. Now, a lot of us older people, you know, we were raised in a world and a generation that knew the truth was absolute. And this truth, 
this truth. In case you're wondering where your pastor stands, I believe this is the word of God. I believe it is something that we are to obey. I believe from the first verse in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation, it's God-inspired, it's God-breathed, and I believe it's absolute truth. It's not, a, it's not a mixture of truth and error. It is 100% truth. This is absolute truth. It's God's revelation of himself to us. We can see Jesus as, as you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father and vice versa. Okay, but this is the written word of God, and it is the revelation of God. Whatever God wanted us to know in 2021, he revealed it in his word. That's how it is. So, so we, have this, we have this absolute truth, but in the culture we are living in, it's now relative truth. And what relative, relative truth means, it's not, it's not just okay, what it means, it's what it knocks. And basically, relative truth says... There's no absolute truth. And it really knocks God. If you believe in relative truth, that you don't believe the Bible because the Bible is absolute truth and there cannot be absolute truth. Nothing is absolute. Relative truth depends on the circumstances. Relative truth says something may be true to me, but it may not be true to you. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, You know, something may be wrong for me or in my eyes, but if it's right in your eyes, then you're free to do it. There is, it's like shifting sand. There is no absolute truth. Everything is up to you. It's everything is relative. And that's the culture that we live in. And again, not every college professor. There are some great Christian college professors. But so often, your child will walk into college and will be confronted with this concept blatantly. And honestly, it's happening more in public schools, okay? You know, that this idea, this concept of relative truth. That there is no, nothing in this world is absolute. So my question today is, the big, the big picture at the very front is this. What's your worldview? What's your worldview? Have you, have you reached a point in your life where you absolutely believe that God's word is absolute truth? Amen. Or... Or are you still wrestling or perhaps have shifted from that position because culture is so persuasive and strong? Have you moved to the point where everything is relative? Everything is relative. And that's the turning point on that our lives live. Now, here's the deal. It all hinges on the fact that are you a Jesus follower or not? Not that you've made a decision. Not that you prayed a prayer one day. Not that you happen to go to a church. But have you made a commitment to be a Jesus follower? Because here's what I know. Jesus followers follow Jesus. Jesus followers follow Jesus. That's what Jesus followers do. You know, you see the idea and the concept of heaven and the way to heaven. What we sang about, really, what we sang about was all based on this. You know, we believe, we believe that a man named Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life. All right. And then he willingly died on a cross, something like this. Something like this. He wasn't murdered, nor was he martyred. He simply, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have her last life. That's what these kids were testifying today. Amen. They were testifying that they reached a point where they understood that they had sinned against holy God and that Jesus Christ would forgive their sins and die for their sins if they're willing to turn from their sins and follow him. That's what, that's what that was symbolic of uh, just a few minutes ago. So, so that's what it's all about. And when we, when we make that decision, when we realize what Jesus did and choose that for our lives, we become Jesus' followers. And Jesus' followers follow Jesus. So, so have you reached that pivot point 
in your life where no matter what culture says, okay, I believe in the Word of God and its absolute truthfulness. I have reached that point, I believe. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really wrestled with this. Because for me, I wondered, okay, God, when I know what your Word says, you know, clearly, and I choose not to obey it, am I acting, living like a relative truth believer? You know, Psalm 14 is one of my favorite Old Testament scriptures because it's, you know, I used it a couple weeks ago. You know, it says, you know, the fool says in his heart, in his heart there is no God. Remember I told you there is, is in italics, so it simply says, the fool says in his heart, no God, no God, no God. <laughs> like, no God, it's my way or the highway. And are we, are we at, when we know something's in the word of God and we choose not to do it, are we living like a practical atheist? Are we living like a relative truth person? And that's a fair question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we absolutely believe? And now no one's perfect, right? I mean, we're not going to get it right every time, but do we live our lives in such a way where we say this thing is all relative, okay? Does it really matter? Well, we've got to reach that file point. And it applies to life. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a mom and dad and God's blessed you with kids, wow, what a huge responsibility. If you're a grandma or a grandpa and you've got grandkids, wow, what a huge responsibility. Maybe God's not gifted you with kids, you know, but you have nieces and nephews. You know, you have, a, you have an opportunity to influence their lives. You know, have you reached that point where absolute truth is your worldview, your, your standard of living. Or maybe you're just an influencer. Maybe, maybe you're a, a public school teacher, or maybe you, you're working out the daycare, or wherever you work. Are you in that environment, are you an influencer believing absolute truth? Bio. Proven bio. Proven. Proven. You know, this, this book has stood the test of time. Do you want to you know why? Now, again, I'm not knocking the, the Muslim faith. That's not my point today. But every once in a while, and I don't say about every two years, you do understand that in the Muslim faith, there is a committee, if you will, a group of scholars who try to figure out the latest version of truth that Muhammad wrote. When was this written and when was this written? Because it contradicts itself. There's, and it's, I'm telling you the truth, okay? You know why there's no committee like that in the Christian faith? Because that's right, it's all truth. There, there are no versions to conflict because it's truth. It's proven itself. 4,000 years this writing has been here. And 4,000 years, and we've not had a committee that said, now we need to change that because this contradicts that. You know why? God got it right. It's the Word of God. So you've got to ask yourself, are you going to mold your life on relative truth or absolute truth? It's, It's the whether or not. See, I spelled it. They spell it on the weather, on the farm show, you know, like weather, like thunderstorms. But the question is whether or not. How are you going to raise your kids? How are you going to live your life? What impact are you going to make and how are you going to make that impact? It's whether or not. You see, it's your choice. And it's huge. And it's huge. Now, Paul wrote, we're going to launch our sermon. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.1 a very interesting scripture. And it really applies to today because these are challenging times. These are challenging times. So, so he wrote in 2 Timothy 3.1, and by the way, Timothy was a young guy, probably 18 to 22, and, and again, he was kind of like a protege of Paul's. Okay, Paul led him to the Lord and now helps him. He's, he's a young pastor. And here's what he wrote to young Paul, or young Timothy. He said, but know this. Now, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. See, see those words? But know this. Now, here's the deal. If you are a person who believes in relative truth, you go, wait a minute, I can't believe that. Because it says no. 
And you can't know. You cannot know if this is true or not. Because relative truth says you don't know. There are no absolutes. So this is a real, already, this is an issue for the relative truth person. Okay? So we have to, again, as Jesus followers, because Jesus followers follow Jesus, we've got to determine our hearts. Okay, even if it's countercultural, okay, even if it's counterintuitive, we've got to reach. If God said it, then I'm going to accept it as true. If God said it, I'm going to accept it. Not the Baptist, not church, not religion. If God said it, okay, I'm going to accept it as true. So Paul says, okay, Timothy, you need to know this. Again, absolute truth. You can know this. You should know this. And then he says this. Hard times will come. Hard times will come. And when will they come? Hard times will come in the last days. In the last days. Um, I've got, I made a slide. I went through and got all these different translations of the Bible. And, you know, what, what, how they translated this word. You know, again, the Christian Standard Bible, one of the newer translations, uses the word hard. Um, the good old New King James Bible, and I think the King James also, uses the word perilous times will come. Um, then we have the English Standard Version that says times of difficulty. And then the New Living Translation says very difficult times will come. And finally, the NIV 84 translation uses the word terrible. Terrible times will come. Okay? Again, if you, if you believe the Bible, the absolute truth of the Bible, the bottom line is you need to know difficult times are coming. Don't, don't be discouraged. In fact, be encouraged. Well, why, Dwayne? Because Jesus said, you, know, you need to know something. In the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hard times. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross, Jesus Christ who conquered death, who arose again on the third day, and Jesus Christ who ascended to heaven and one day is coming back. Okay, that Jesus says, don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. That's why we can raise our kids in these turbulent times with confidence because the king is coming. Amen? Amen. We, we can live our lives in confidence. Even through COVID, even through all of this unrest that's going on, we can have confidence because the King is coming. Okay? Last days. Well, Dwayne, when's the last days? I don't know. I don't. I mean, you know, you'll get these preachers that get on TV or on the radio, and they'll say, well, on this day, Jesus is coming. One thing I do know, the Scripture says, no man knows the day or the hour. In fact, Jesus even said, I don't even know when. The Father knows. The Father knows. But here's what I do know. It's closer than it's ever been before. I mean, I, you know, world circumstances, okay, you know, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in our nation right now, what's going on in the world right now are very, very difficult times. And, and again, you just need to know that difficult, hard times of difficulty, terrible times are coming. And because of that, we've got to be getting ready. We've got to help our kids. So what do we do? What do we do? All right, well, listen to this. You know, in difficult times, um, in hard times, in terrible times, all right, what are we going to do? Listen here. In difficult times, both protection and preparation become essential. So if, if you're a mom and dad and you've got children, okay? All right, well, if you're a mom and dad, I guess you do have kids. Okay, but anyway, so, so you've got kids, all right? So the time now is for you to be about protecting your kids and preparing your kids. Okay, dad, daddy, 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 listen, your, your, your top on your job list every day is to protect your kids and prepare your kids. Mom, mom, on top of your list is protect your kids and prepare your kids. Okay, now, now, what, now what if you're a grandpa? 
And grandma, what about that? Mama and papa, what about that situation? Okay, our job, okay, if we have grandkids, are to help, protect, and prepare our kids. It's not a side job. You know, it comes before golf. It comes before a trip to Florida in the RV. Our priority is, if we're parents, is to protect and prepare. If we're grandparents, protect and prepare. And what if you don't have any kids? What if you've got that niece and nephew? You are an influence in their lives. So your job is to help, especially as a Jesus follower, because Jesus followers follow Jesus, okay? Because of that, then our job as nieces for our nieces and nephews is to protect and prepare. And yes, even if you are just a person of influence, whatever the situation may be, when it comes to children, we should protect and we should prepare them. It's especially true for what we value the most, which I hope would be your children, which I hope would be your grandchildren, which I hope would be nieces and nephews, which hope would be other children that you may have an influence for. Now, here's what I found out. Um, Jesus really talked a whole lot about kids, about children. Now, you remember last week how we, how we married Psalm 127, Psalm 127 and we married Ephesians chapter 5 and 6? Do you remember those? We married those together? Well, we're going to continue that just a little bit today with that same idea. We're going to marriage what the psalmist said in 127 with what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6. That's what we're going to do. Here's what, here's what 127.3 says. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. So again, if you, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you have nieces and nephews, or perhaps there's some other special children in your life, okay, you've got to prepare and protect because children are a gift from the Lord. When God brings children into our lives, okay, perhaps you foster some children, you know, however it may be, you know, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. And Jesus thought a whole bunch about this. In fact, in Matthew chapter, chapter 18, verse 4, he said, you know what? If you're going to make it to heaven, then you've got to come like this little child. Simple, childlike faith. He said, you know, isn't that cool? He didn't, he didn't go to a Pharisee, you know, Mr. Religious over here. He didn't go to that guy and say, yeah, if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to be like this religious guy. You've got to be a rule keeper. He didn't do that. He, he didn't go over here to the Sadducee and say, you've got to be really extremely religious. He said, no, if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to be like a child with simple, humble, childlike faith. Jesus talked a lot about children. In fact, over in, in Matthew 18, 6, you know, he said this. This is really hard. He, he said, okay, listen to this. Any of you, if any of you um, take one of these children that believe in me, okay, and cause them to sin, it'd be better if you tied a rock around your neck and threw yourself in the sea. What? Is that really in the Bible? Like, check it out. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. If any of you take a small child, one of these little ones, that believe in me and cause them to sin, it'd be better if you took a millstone and tied it around your neck and threw yourself into the sea. Why? God thinks a lot about kids. God thinks a lot about kids. Over in Matthew 19, 14, the disciples, see, we don't get it right, and they didn't either. You know, if you ever feel bad about yourself, and you go, I just don't get it right. The dudes walked with Jesus for three years, and they always got it wrong. Take it easy. Jesus, there's some children who want to see you. The moms and dads have brought the kids, and, and we told them you're too big, important, and busy. 
<laughs> Jesus chuckles and says, are you serious? Did you really tell Peter, are you pulling my leg? You really didn't tell him that, did you? Well, yeah, Jesus, we did because you're big and important. No, 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 he said. Bring the little children to me. Bring the little children to me. So see, see, Jesus thought a whole lot about kids. And he just wants to remind us that our children are a gift from the Lord. He's more, they're more important than your career. They're more important than your job, your status, whatever it is. The most important thing, if God's gifted you with children, if God's gifted you with grandchildren, if God's gifted you with nieces and nephews, you need to understand they're important. They're a reward. They're a gift from the Lord. So then we got married here. So, so we're at Psalm 127. And now we jump over to Ephesians and chapter 6, verse 4. And here's what, here's what Paul wrote. Uh, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Now, I really think, I, I try to be very careful handling the Word of God. And I think we can say parents there without violating. Because in their culture, it was always the dad who was the disciplinarian. And honestly, sometimes in our culture, it could be either parent. Maybe one parent. Okay? But he says, hey, hey, parents, don't stir up anger in your children. In other words, be careful how you handle your children. Don't, don't intentionally try to fire them up. Don't, don't be a button pusher. Don't unintentionally or intentionally stir the pot. You know, I think one of the key ways we do this is words. Um, there are at least twice in my life that I'm still too embarrassed. It didn't involve cussing, so I'm okay. But I, a couple of times I said things to my children over the years that, boy, if I could take it back, I'd do anything in the world to do so. Choose your words with your children carefully. Because there's a chance that what you say is going to get lodged in their heart for the rest of their lives. Be careful what you say. Don't, don't stir your kids up to anger. Choose your heels carefully. Choose your, choose your heels, Dwayne. What do you mean? Choose your heels that are worth dying on carefully. I don't, don't just say no because, no, I, I'm, I'm the daddy or I'm the mama. So I set the rules. So this is how. Choose your heels, your heels different, you know, carefully. If, if you get in the habit of just saying no to say no, when it really, Brent, you shared this with me just a couple weeks ago. If, if you reach a point where no is just no, when you really need to stand your ground and say no, there's going to be conflict. Save your no's for the hills worth dying on. Yeah, anybody y'all y'all remember James Dobson? I mean, he was the family guru. I mean, he was the go-to guy. Focus on the family. Remember what was his program? Well, one day they did a call-in show, and a woman called. Okay, and I don't even know if this is even appropriate or not applicable for today. But anyway, at that time, all right, this lady calls in and says, "Brother Dobson, we just had this big problem." And he goes, "Well, what's your deal?" He says, "Well." My daughter is 12. That's enough of a problem right there. I understand that. But she's 12, and she wants to shave her legs. And all we do is fight about it. We just fight, and we fight, and contention, and buttheads, and buttheads. You know what Dobson said? Go buy her a razor. <laughs> Go buy him. You know what he's saying? This is not a hill worth dying on. 
Choose your heels carefully. Don't stir up anger in your children. Yes, there's a time to say no. But choose those times carefully. Choose your words carefully. Charles Wendell, man, he, he hit it out of the park. You know, each day of our lives, we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. Every day of our lives, we're depositing things in the memory banks. So, what memories are you writing? What memories are you writing? Don't be careful, moms and dads. I know. Be careful of the deposits you're making in your kid's life. Make, make sure, make sure that the deposits that you want stuck there. You know, I, I said, I didn't see y'all always get things I don't say in the first service. I hope. I hope that I live the kind of life that I'm stretched out in a big box or in an urn, however we decide to do it, that my children have something to cry about and something to laugh about. I don't want them to have these horrible memories of a dad who didn't care, a dad who's too busy to love, a dad who has priorities all mixed up, I want to be the kind of dad that they cry and laugh about. We make these deposits in the memory banks of our children. What kind of deposits are we going to make? Well, Paul goes on. He says in the second part of verse number four, he says we need to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now again, keep in mind, keep in mind, if you're, if you're a relative truth person, that doesn't mean anything. It's all relative. If you agree with God's word, okay. If I don't agree, don't do it. But if you're a Jesus follower, because Jesus followers do what Jesus does, okay, this is huge. Bring them up. Raise them up. Habitually teach them in the instruction and training of the Lord. This is huge. I heard a, heard a guy, a good friend of mine, actually say, the other day he goes, he's taking his son to a ball game, which is cool, but he said, I'm reliving my childhood. You know, I want to make sure that when your child relives their childhood, that it includes a great faith in God. When they relive their childhood, I hope their adulthood is like their childhood, and I hope it's with God in the middle of it. God in the middle of it. Here's the deal. Lifeway Research. A very reputable research organization did a survey and found out this that 66% of young adults 18 to 22, 66% of kids 18 to 22 quit going to church for a year or longer. Now let that soak in just a minute. 66%. Now these were kids that were going to church. We don't include the ones that aren't going to church now. This is the group that did go to church. And 66% of them. When they left mom and dad, either went to college or moved down their own, quit going to church for a year. That's hard. That's hard. It gets harder. Okay, so of that 66%, okay, um, totaling 100% really, but 66%, okay, um, 31% of them, 31% eventually came back. Eventually came back. They came to church twice or more a month. Okay, 
39% came back. But they only attended church once or less a month. Once or less a month. And 29% of them never came back. And if I did my math right, that means 68% of these kids who walked away, 68% of them either went to church once a month or less or never came back. Folks, it's important that we implant God in the life of our kids. You know, I, I still see that slide. You know, does it matter if I go to church? And again, the application factor, if you apply what the teacher teaches, what God teaches, what his word says, yes, it matters a lot. It really does matter a lot. Lindsay Bell said something, and Lindsay Bell's a uh, lady Bible teacher and, and mom, okay? But she said something really great. The goal of parenting, and, I, and I'm not sure why she didn't put this word in it, but since she's a Christian, I'll put it in there for her. The goal of Christian parenting isn't to create perfect kids. You, you're not going to get that. Because the Bible says, all of sin, there's none righteous, no, not one. So the goal of parenting isn't to create perfect kids. It's, nor is it to create the perfect ball player. Nor is it to create the perfect ballerina. Nor is it to create the perfect violinist. Nor is it to create the perfect student. The goal of Christian parenting is to create a perfect kid. It's to point our kids to the perfect God. Amen. That is what it's all about. Your greatest responsibility, no matter how challenging and difficult it is, is to point your child to this loving, perfect God. And I'm telling you, yes, sometimes that can really be a challenge, but it's worth it. How do you do that, Dwayne? Well, in Proverbs, and this is one of the verses we preachers just love to preach, okay? Proverbs 22, 6, okay? I've heard this verse all my adult life. Probably when I was a kid, just don't remember it. Here's what it says. And remember, keep in mind, well, I'll share it in just a moment. Here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me read it again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, here's what you need to understand. I want to help you today. Okay? It's really important that we understand that Proverbs are principles. Most, the, the huge chunk of Proverbs are principles, not promises. In other words, God isn't saying, here's a guarantee for you, bud. You train that child right, boom, in church the rest of their lives. They love me. Done deal. There's a little problem with that. It's called free will. And when you, when you have a human being and God gave us free will, the problem is sometimes your child's free will gets in the way of God's will and he does his own thing. Sometimes a child grows up and buys into relative truth and not absolute truth. It's a good principle, but it's a principle. So don't live in guilt. You sit there and say, Dwayne, I did everything I could. I did everything right. I prayed with my child. I prayed scripture over my child. And he still walked away. Don't buy the guilt. It's not yours. Your child made a decision. It's a principle. Now, here's what's cool. There are promises. Like Isaiah uh, chapter um, 55 and 11. Isaiah 55, 11. Listen to this. It's a great promise. 
God is speaking. He says, so shall my word be that grows out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Oh, but it shall accomplish what that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing that I sent it for. So you've got this principle, but you also got the promises of God. So the bottom line is this. You know, the bottom line is this. Understand that principles and promises are different. They're different things, okay? But here's the deal. The bottom line is this. Here's the deal. The bottom line is this. Do all you can to do family within the scope of God's will and word. That's what we do. Make, make the commitment. I know it's countercultural. I know sometimes it's inconvenient. But I choose the absolute truth of God's word over relative truth. If it feels good, do it. Whatever seems right for me at the time is what I'm going to do. Okay? Do all you can within the scope of God's will and word. And then leave the rest to him. Leave the rest to him. He's a great God. He's a strong God. Pray over your children. Set the example for your children. Let them know. Let your kids know that you believe in the absolute authority of God's word. If you do. Don't lie about it. But I hope you will. If you're a Jesus follower, because Jesus followed follow Jesus, let your kids know that this... This is the bottom line. Not not what my friends say, not what the world says, not what the world's doing. This is the bottom line. And when Jesus clearly speaks, God's word clearly speaks, we to a yes, we say yes, and when God's word clearly speaks to a no, then we know. It's huge. It's huge. Because here's what I know. God loves you very much. How much? I already quoted once, but I'll give it to you again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved you enough to bring you through the toughest year of your life, probably. It may not have been easy. It may have been costly. But he loved you enough to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death of 2020. That's how much he loves you. Let me tell you something else. I know. He loves your kids. I know you love your kids. I know you're doing your best to do the best you can for them. But God loves them more than you. Jesus proved it in what he said. So he loves his kids too. So as you journey in this life, the pivot point, remember? The pivot point, pivot point is our worldview. Do we believe in the absolute authority of God's word or his truth relative? Now all this hinges on, and we're done. All this hinges on this. It hinges on this. It doesn't, listen. The last thing I want to do is make you a Baptist. Last thing. Last thing I want you to do is think the church is the answer to everything. You'll get some answers. You'll hear some answers. But church is not the answer. Church will not get you to heaven. Jesus is the answer. And this wonderful book, when we choose to apply its principles and truths, it's the answer to. So much of what we go through in life as Jesus followers, if we would just follow his word, it'll help. It's the answer. It's the answer. So we come down now to our time of decision. We've come down to our pivot point. And our pivot point is this. Do you know Jesus? 
Have you reached that point that those kids did that you realize that you have sinned against holy God? And the only way to have a relationship with God was for you to ask God to forgive your sins and put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. Today, during our decision times, my brother Brent would be standing right down front, and we'd love to tell you about Jesus. I'm telling you, for me, it was 46 years ago. And Jesus is the answer. I'm going to shock you all. Get ready. In those 46 years, I've not been perfect. But he has. He's loved me perfectly. He's seen everything I've done and never stopped loving me. He'll never stop loving me. So today, if you need Jesus, give us a chance to come explain to you what it means to become a Jesus follower. And if you're, a, if you're a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or just an influencer, the greatest asset we have, the greatest gift we have outside of our salvation is our children. Let's protect them. Let's prepare them for this culture that we're living in. Let's pray together. Hey, Father, I really thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. I just can't thank you enough for the... Uh, the wonderful attendance, but, but more than that, the spirit, almost like an electrical spirit in this place. So thank you for that. Father, there's someone here today who's searching through life, banging their head against walls of life. Let them see that Jesus is the answer. I know nothing I said today can draw anyone to you, but Holy Spirit, you can, and I ask that you will. I pray for every mom and dad. I pray for every grandma and grandpa, I pray for every aunt and uncle and every influencer that we will do our very best in this countercultural world of relative truth to represent you in absolute truth. Help us to stand firm, Jesus, on you, on Christ the solid rock, I stand, and on your word. Help us do all that we can within the scope of your will in your word, and then God will leave the rest to you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.